Hey, everybody. Um, what you're about to listen to is Kathy and I got interviewed on a different podcast called Reimagining Love with Dr. Alexandra Solomon. During the podcast, we talked about our history. We talked about how we got together, our partnership. And even though you know we've been doing this podcast for 11 years, we dive into areas of our relationship that we really have never discussed. So we thought it'd be kind of fun for the listeners to kind of hear our story. Uh, Dr. Solomon's a dear friend of ours, and um, it's uh, this uh, this podcast actually landed on her platform, and we asked her if we could just take the exact audio and put it on ours because we think that we thought it would be good. So, without further ado, Dr. Solomon interviewing Kathy and Todd. Enjoy. I am really excited to introduce you to today's love stories couple, Kathy and Todd Adams. I was introduced to their work about conscious parenting many years ago by my best friend, Allie. And since that time, I have been a guest on their podcast, a speaker at their conference, and a teacher in their membership community. And every single time I am with them, I am struck by the alignment between their work and my work, and I am touched by their big hearts and their warm spirits. And I know that you are going to be also. So Kathy is a self-awareness expert and an author who's focused on parenting and the personal empowerment of women and young girls. She's a licensed clinical social worker, a certified parent coach, a certified elementary school teacher, a certified yoga teacher, and she teaches in the sociology department at Dominican University and Elmhurst College. Her newest book is wonderful. It's called Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World. Todd is a certified life coach, and he focuses on supporting guys and finding a healthy work-family balance. He focuses on marriage, parenting, career, overall self-awareness, and life enjoyment. Together, Kathy and Todd are the co-hosts of Zen Parenting Radio, which is a wonderful podcast that has had a very long life. The Zen Parenting message relies on four grounding forces, self-awareness, mindfulness, compassion, and connection. Whether Kathy and Todd are discussing parenting, pop culture, or politics, they aim to interweave these values into every conversation. And I am willing to bet that Kathy and Todd are one of the most self-aware and self-reflective couples that you've heard from ever. In this episode of Reimagining Love, they launch right into the story of their marriage from their early years of dating to their relationship tender spots that have spanned across time you're going to notice the deep respect they have for one another, which includes always pushing each other to be the best versions of themselves. It was really fun and so soul nourishing to have them in the studio with me for this conversation. And they were so generous to join me. I hope that you enjoy hearing from them. so much for joining me in studio. We are like three dimension flesh and blood sitting in the studio together and I couldn't be happier. Yeah. Thank you for inviting us. We're excited to be here. Yeah. Thanks. I was thinking as I was getting ready for this conversation about our journey, like our friendship and how it has, it's got some legs to it. Mm -hmm. Like I first heard about the two of you and Zen Parenting Radio through a couple of our mutual friends, Annie Burnside and then my best friend, Allie. And I've been an attendee and a presenter at your Zen Parenting Conference, which is just like the warmest, most inviting conference. And you bring in incredible guests. You've had Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach and Dr. Shafali. Like, you know, you just, you go for it. And it's mm -hmm. a really wonderful space. And I've been a guest on your podcast, mm -hmm. which is wonderful. I love your men living group and have been a teacher there in that community. Yeah. And Kathy, you have a new book out and I wrote a blurb for that. So I just am here for you and with you and so glad to now get to have you in this space with me. Well, thank you. We feel, feel completely similarly and your podcast is amazing and your reach is amazing. The posts that you are doing now on Instagram and everywhere and on the Mind app, it's incredible stuff. And I see how it gets shared and I see how you're changing a lot of people's lives. So just kudos to you. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. just a circle of admiration and appreciation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, OK, I would love for the two of you to start by talking to us a little bit about the story, the story of Kathy and Todd. And I know that <laughs> could just be the entire thing right there and then. But just get us oriented to like 
What is this love story? Well, we have been doing the podcast for 11 years, and I don't know if we've ever talked about how we met, our 20s, which were a roller coaster. We've never talked about this, have we? I don't think we have from the very beginning. I think we have alluded, and I think we have had guests where we've talked about challenges that we have had. But would you like me to start or would you like to Please, I'll fill in the blanks. (laughs) Okay, so I met Todd my senior year in college. He was a junior. I am a year older than Todd. I am so much older than Todd. Yeah, 10 Um, months, and I do not let you forget that. (laughs) And it was actually about uh, three or four months before I graduated. And I knew his name. He was in a—I lived in a sorority. Um, He lived in a fraternity about two doors down. And one of my best friends was dating one of his best friends. And I—you know, it's one of those things. You're in a small campus. We went to Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. And I knew his name, but I didn't know him. And then one day he, you know, I'm just kind of cutting to the chase, Todd, but he asked me to go to a formal with him. And I said no, um, because I had I was going to a different formal with somebody else. But I was very sad about it. I was very sad about saying no, because I really when I say I liked him, I didn't know him yet, but he was very familiar to me. You know, uh-huh. like somebody who I was like, oh, I feel like I know him already. He feels like one of my guy friends from home. And then I eventually asked him to my formal. Again, this is getting to the, last, the end of this semester of my senior year. And we got really close really fast. Hmm. The problem was Todd had a girlfriend. Yeah, I had a girlfriend that was abroad. And the girlfriend decided that when she's abroad that she's not going to be loyal to any commitments. So I was in my integrity when Kathy and I sort of dated while my girlfriend was abroad because that was the rules that we had created when she bailed. So I just, I have plenty of breaks in my own integrity, but that was not one of them. Right. When I say he has a girlfriend, what I meant is that even though they were on a break, as we would say in the world of friends, I also knew that's where his heart was. So Mm -hmm. I was not in a place where I was like, we're going to, you know, as comfortable as we felt together. When I left college, I said goodbye. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought we were done. And then that summer, he called me because she had come home, his girlfriend, and had decided to break up with him, not because of anything about us, but because it it was time for them to break up for whatever reason. And he really relied on me as a, you know, somebody to talk to. Yeah, you were my friend. I was sad. Yeah. And I was excited, but also confused to be helping him through sadness about somebody else. Yeah. Um, Again, this is why our relationship is always, you know, historically was so complicated because it was like, are we friends? Are we dating? Are we friends? And the bottom line is in that period of time in our early 20s, I was very much wanting to have a commitment from Todd and Todd was not emotionally available for a very long time. Truth. Um, (laughs) This this is truth. Yeah, I was. This is truth. I was very interested in drinking beer with my friends. And he was very, and talking about integrity, he was very honest with me about, you know, we'd go out, we'd have a good time. We both lived in Chicago, so we saw each other a lot, mutual friends. And at the end of the night, he'd be like, that's it. This is not going to go any further. And I would say, but everything's so great. And you tell me all these things because he'd be like, you're the best and we have so much fun. But he was like, I can't commit. That's just not what I'm going to do. So I several times had to distance myself from Todd Mm -hmm. for years Mm -hmm. at a time. Like, let's not talk anymore because as honest as you're being, it hurts me. Uh And I will say this for people listening that, you know, put it this way, my girlfriends didn't love him. Uh Not because of who he was. He's always been a kind man, but because they knew how much it hurt me. And then again, cut to the chase, five to seven years, there was a birthday party, a surprise birthday party. And in the middle of the night, again, 20s, everybody got to go back to your 20s. Todd had called me once in the middle of the night and said, oh, we're just we're daring each other to call our, you know, old friends from college or something. And we talked for a little bit. And I said, well, by the way, there's a birthday party on Friday for a mutual friend. So if you want to come, go ahead. I did not think anything of it. I Mm. just, this is kind of the way that we participate in each other's lives. We see each other occasionally. And he showed up and at the end of that night, he asked me on a date. Never happened before. It had had never happened. happened. Uh. No, because I was so, I want to give myself grace, but at the same time, just really weak. I was scared what my friends would think about me. I had friends who got girlfriends and got engaged and I wanted my 20s to be unattached. So I was really apprehensive to having any type of commitment. And looking back on that person, I was just like, what an idiot I was. But, you know, that's what 
my 20s was all about was being an idiot. So, but I asked her out and, you know, I'm embarrassed to say it, but the idea came from a few of my friends. They're like, oh my God, Kathy Kasani, she's so awesome. What are you doing there? You're such an idiot. <laughs> and that, like, I'm embarrassed to say it, but that permission from two specific friends of mine, like, yeah, what am I doing? Like, it didn't even come from within. Now, one thing I will say is I always loved Kathy. I really did. And I loved who I was when I was with her. Like she brought the silly part of me out and it was so great, but I just was not in the position to want to make any type of long-term commitment. Like a lot of guys out there would just lie and cheat. And I knew that wasn't me. So I was very honest. You, you made an effort to not overpromise. You never once said, no, never no, I could, I could do this. No. Right. No. You, and we didn't even have the hookup culture thing, really. Mm. I mean, there were occasional times that we would be together, but it was not a thing like, let's just have this relationship with no attachments. We didn't really do that. We would, I think we both cared about each other a lot. And I felt, and again, we'll get to this, but I felt much more hurt by what was going on in our 20s. And I think you did, Todd. Yeah, in order but to be it, hurt, you need to be vulnerable. And I wasn't vulnerable. No, you so there was that. nothing no. for me to get hurt. One of my favorite stories is that we actually showed up at a wedding. You know, we didn't know each other was going to be there, but we were there together and we ended up spending most of the time together. And I remember at that wedding, he said to me, you know, I don't at all want a girlfriend, but if I was going to have a girlfriend, <laughs> if I had to, it would be you. And I was, and I was so, saying that because I thought it yeah, was a compliment. A compliment right. And mm -hmm. I've shared, we share that story with friends and they're like, oh my God, Todd, you're such an idiot. Well, I went back and told my girlfriends that night yeah. who I was with, I said, Todd said this, can you, cause they knew I really, he was like my home, you know, like yeah. they knew how attached I was to him. And they were like, Kathy, that's not, that's not good. Yeah. Like that's not commitment. That's not. And I really had to be like, oh wait, but there was part of me. And, and this is what's always drawn us together. I knew him and I knew that was big for him. And for people listening to this, I'm not saying right. that's good overall because some people can use that. It, it's such an unaware thing to say for some people. But he, I knew commitment scared him. I knew that there was a lot of family history with that. And I knew that that was the best he could do. And again, we, that was when we were 25 and we didn't get together till two years later. So it didn't result in anything. Yeah. But it was like these incremental you know, shifts. Mm -hmm. And then once we were together, I mean, I think once we started going on our first couple of dates, I knew we'd get married. I knew we were done. We were off to, off to the races. So 27, we started dating. 28, we were engaged. 29, I got married. And 30, our first kid showed up. So something happened every year after that. <laughs> yeah, we, something we, significant. Yeah, it, it got busy. And yeah. that, but I will say, I think in our 30s, especially after our first daughter came along, we had to resolve a lot of those issues from our uh -huh. 20s. I was working with someone similar to a teacher type of therapist, body worker, you know, all the aspects of someone who is in a healing profession. And she and I really, and Todd as well, we had to like, I had to work through that pain yeah. because there were some resentment pieces that I had that he didn't seem to understand. It's come up many times, like where there's been times where I've said, you don't understand that I longed for you and you hurt me yeah. again and again, even without intention. intention. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And he, because he knew I was always there. Mm -hmm. So he'd never, um, maybe there were times that you were, you know, if, when I was dating someone else, I know that would sometimes bother you. But for the most part, he never had the heartbreak I did. So right. we had to really work through that. And, and it, it still probably comes made up. us stronger. For sure. For dealt sure. Dealt with a lot of stuff. Well, I imagine for you, Todd, like opening up to commitment was happening alongside you, like learning how to witness, right? Like mm. to just witness that you had created harm inside of Kathy, mm. not because you wanted to, mm. right? That was, that's a really powerful, like, it's not just that you were building a relationship with her. You were also having to like be present to repair. Yeah. Work. I hid behind my intention and my intention was never to harm. I hid behind my honesty. I never played games with her. I was very honest with it, but I was neglectful of the impact of what those decisions were. So yeah, it's, and that's where a lot of the repair came in. And even after we started having kids, we started kind of navigating through all that. Yeah. I so. think it actually even came up when you were in your coaching program, Todd went through a, mm -hmm. you know, the CLG, yeah, uh, conscious leadership. Conscious leadership. And so they were doing a lot of deep work and he started sharing some things with me and it really brought out some, you know, kind of brought up all, a lot of our old things. Yeah. And I had to kind of go back to there's still a piece of me, you know, if I'm to be, you know, to be completely honest, that you kind of wish your partner knew what it was like without you, because uh -huh. it's not something you want. 
I don't want to hurt him. I'm never going to do that. This is not so I can say this openly and he knows it's not a right. type of threat. Right. But that he doesn't know what it's like without me. And yeah. I know what it's so, like without so him. So in other words, when I was ready, you were ready. Yes. Yeah. Whereas when, when you were I was ready, ready I was, was not. not ready. Right. And for you, Kathy, to have been not ready yes. when he was, just as a way of letting him know how it felt, wouldn't that wouldn't have been mm-hmm. you wouldn't have made that choice. I wouldn't have. But to to go with the choice that you made yes. right, means that he has not had yes. it. It's a little bit of a, not anymore in the relationship we have now, but there's this history we have with a power dynamic that Todd always had more because he was the one who was elusive, like yeah. he was hard to reach. And and that's the thing is that now I believe our power dynamic is actually very, you know, it's up and down depending on what's going on, but it's very balanced. Like yeah. I don't feel like there's any kind of, any kind of situation that we can't work through. He gets me, I get him, but it's a history that we contend with. Sure. I think when you have a relationship where you broke up and went out yeah. and broke up and went out or, you know, we're separate from each other, it's something, even if you work through it and you get to a happy ending like he and I did, it's still part of your story. And Todd's right. It did make us stronger because it forced us to talk about these things, but it wasn't all pretty. That's Our right. relationship historically was messy. It wasn't pretty. And I imagine that even though you're saying the power dynamic really does flow between yeah. the two of you. If there's a moment when you experience Todd's elusiveness, yes. even though rationally your empowered woman totally gets that this is a moment of Todd's unavailability. There's like 23-year-old Kathy who can still, like who still, I imagine, needs your attention. A hundred percent. And it's so interesting because you started by talking about something that Todd, part of his work is he runs a an international men's organization called Men Living and it is something that I not only support, but, you know, helped when he was starting. I was very supportive of it, you know, helped him get going. But when he <laughs> wants to be with men, all, meaning like he wants to go play pickleball and he wants to go do, you know, work with men on, you know, coaching weekends. and weekends yeah. away, which is a big part of who he is. His friendships are very important to him. It does trigger that old part of me where he in his 20s was. I don't want a relationship. I just want to like hang out and have fun and not have commitments. Mm-hmm. And it probably gets brought up, I don't know, once every six months where I'll say, I feel like your energy is focused more over there than here. And now it's a family thing. It's not just me. But you're good about hearing that. And and I feel, but it's real. It's not me like being 23. It's really present yeah, day sure. stuff. And some of it is, you know, when I spend time with other men, which is important to me. Oh, it's my addiction to productivity too. Yes. So it could be about Zen parenting. It could be about men living. It could be my work. And about one, twice a year, Kathy will have to like literally hold my shoulders and say, you think you're here and you're not here. Mm-hmm. And it's because I have my air my AirPods in and I'm just kind of like one of my blessings and it's one of my curses is my addiction to always be productive and efficient. And it's sometimes at the expense of the people that mean the most to me, my wife and my three daughters. So you haven't had to do that with me lately. And it's a gift because, Kathy, you need to be strong to be able to get the attention in a kind and loving way of a loved one who has lost focus. And Mm -hmm. that still happens to me. And I'd love to say it's never going to happen again, but that would be BS. Hopefully it won't happen as much as it used to, but I still fall, you know, we all fall into the old patterns. What's it like for you when she calls you in? Initially defensiveness, no matter how loving she is about it. But it's like, you know, (laughs) I am a conditioned man who's not used to being questioned Ever since I was a little boy, I could do what I want for the most part. And um, so, yeah, I get defensive and then I take a breath and I'm like, okay, let's, let me center myself a bit. On my good days and my bad days, I'll withdraw. But Kathy and I are both pretty good at holding the space for the other when they're in a reactive place. Mm. Times when we get caught is when we're both in a reactive place, but usually it's one or one of the two of us can hold the space for, you know, reactivity. Meaning that if you have kind of succumbed for the moment in defensiveness, Mm -hmm. Kathy, you can say to yourself, okay, Mm -hmm. now he's doing defensiveness. Mm -hmm. Now he's doing withdrawal Mm -hmm. and this will come around. Yeah. We have a pattern um, that is, it's, it's not completely consistent. Like there are some ebbs and flows in it, but the one thing I will say is that since I kind of started my own self-awareness journey in my most, 
actually started when I was like 16, but it got really <laughs> hyper focused when I was about 31, 32. Okay. And that's okay, really were you a, a mom. By I was uh-huh. I was okay. a new mom. And, and part of it was because I really had an identity crisis because I had gone to school, gone to graduate school to become a therapist, worked my way up in Children's Memorial which is now Lurie Children's Hospital, but I had finally had my corner office. I was a therapist. I was doing all the things I had planned to do. And I got married and I got pregnant and all by choice. Um, But then after realizing that I I was working in a very crisis-oriented environment, I was working in the inpatient unit, the partial hospitalization unit of children's in psychiatric. And I knew that if I was going to spend time with my child or be there for my child, I could not do that kind of work Mm -hmm. at the same time. And so I decided to stay home and kind of figure it out for a little bit. And and I went to work two days after our daughter was born. <laughs> yeah. There's no, nothing changed for me and yeah. her whole world yeah. turned upside down forever. Literally in every aspect. Sure. And so I had such an identity crisis that it really drove me back to this like place of I need to know who I am, self-awareness. What do I want to do? Where am I going? And it got pretty intense. Like I was, you know, I was one of those people who was working with every kind of, you know, yeah. spiritual advisor and therapy and all that kind of thing. And But what I learned along the way, especially in my 30s, was how to communicate with Todd and be honest about how I was feeling, even if it wasn't a very popular feeling. You know, again, I'm now 51. So we're talking 20 years ago. We were not really talking about emotional labor then. Yeah. We were not really talking about how a woman feels in the home, you know, versus we were talking about it. It just wasn't as mainstream as it is now. And so I was having to bring up things that he really, his friends weren't experiencing or that he had never heard before or that were so uncomfortable to me. I mean, let me be clear. I, you know, the thing from my childhood, as we know, we work these things through in our relationships going forward is I really didn't speak up about anything. Mm -hmm. I am a someone who is a people pleaser. I'm a two on the Enneagram. I'm someone who really wants to focus on everyone else's problems, issues, joys. But when I was in a a deep place um, and I actually went through depression, I mean, there was a lot of work I was doing. I had to speak up about what I needed. And Todd, it was difficult at the beginning, but he also was very receptive in that, okay, this is interesting because you seem happier. And when you're feeling good, our relationship is this, like he saw the dynamic shift, Uh how Uh like me speaking about something relieved something and changed something. And our daughter was happier. It just Uh had this impact that was to me included all of us. It wasn't just about me. Yeah. So there's two things. One is I am, I have always been Still am and probably always will be conflict avoidance Okay, just because my parents used to fight and I hated it. So that's the one thing. And it's something that shows up in relationship with Kathy to this day. Like, you know, she's usually the one that has to bring something up because for me, my nervous system, I mean, I could blame that or I could just blame my cultural conditioning or I'm too scared. So that's the one thing I need to lay out as a kind of a foundational, like that's about knowing each other. Kathy knows that. And that doesn't mean, all right, whenever anything's going wrong, Kathy, you have to bring it up. Like I try my best to bring it up. But the other thing is, as Kathy was really doing some deep personal work, I noticed that I wasn't. (laughs) And I'm like, I better jump on this train because if I don't, I'm going to be married. She was evolving as a human being. And I was still drinking beer, playing fantasy football and doing all the things. And oh, by the way, I'm a dad. Yeah, yeah. And I just realized I need to do something. Otherwise, I could potentially see us growing apart. And she told Mm -hmm. me about Eckhart Tolle and invited me to read the book. And I tried to listen to it. And he had that thick German. He has a thick German accent. And I'm like, I'm not listening to this guy. I can't understand a word he says. And then Oprah did her thing with him over. And I read the book one chapter a week. And that was like my launching point to my version of what Kathy was doing. Hmm. And then a few years later, Zen Parenting showed up. And that, in my judgment, is why we don't have a perfect marriage. But I would I'll put our marriage up against anybody else's because we love each other. We're not scared to do the deep work. And it takes courage to do that. And I think it has to do with our willingness to bring our own happiness to the marriage, not rely on the other one to make us happy. I mean, Kathy does make me happy, but I'm also in charge of my own well-being. I don't want her to fix me. She doesn't want me to fix her. So I think that that is one of the foundational reasons why 
we continue to grow together versus apart, which is what happens to whatever half the marriages out there. When you started to talk about why Kathy's journey, like what it shifted inside of you, I thought what you were going to say, I thought we were going to say about why you were supporting Kathy's journey. I guess I was thinking about the part of you that like craves productivity and mm-hmm. celebrates productivity was mm-hmm. like, as you watch Kathy being happier, you were like, oh, this works. Mm-hmm. It works when she expresses herself. It works. It's mm-hmm. effective. It's productive. But what you were saying is so interesting because this, this is counter to the dominant narrative in your marriage. What I'm hearing you say is like you started your own journey because you were afraid of losing her. Yes. You were watching her. She was about to go on this trip. Yeah. You know, she was starting this trip. And you were like, either I get on this train with her or mm-hmm. I'm going to be like left here on the platform. Yeah, and that then. doesn't even assume mean we'd be divorced. We might be married, but it would not be nearly to the depth that it is now. I mean, we're constantly working on ourselves and bringing our own challenges to the other. And the first few years of our marriage, like I, I remember you were working with the body healer or whatever. And I remember talking to her and you're like, well, maybe you want to just meet with her. And I told her, like, I don't need you because... And in a very kind way, I'm like, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my job. You're not necessary. I don't need to work on myself. She said, now is the time to work on yourself because if you wait for crisis, then you're just going to be navigating crisis. And so the time to work on yourself is when times are good and not when you wait for things to get crazy. And even that question of like, what does it mean to work on yourself? Like it's not, I sometimes, you know, and you probably run into this too, like where it's not that you have to like dig in and find a problem. It's where are you right now? Are yeah. you, how, how do you feel about what you're doing? How do you feel about yourself? Are you, do you feel pointed in the right direction? Is your compass, like, how's your integrity? How, what are the choices you're making when something disturbs you or someone does offend you? Are you able to speak about it? Are you able to understand yourself? It's just this practice mm-hmm. of self-awareness mm-hmm. that it's sometimes when we use the the word work, people think it's something they need to check off the list. And really what it is, is a understanding of self. So then you are progressing or moving through the world as yourself, doing the things that are making a difference in other people's lives, whatever your work may be. I mean, I happen to be a therapist, but you know, I work with so many people who do a million other things. And then having genuine, authentic relationships where there isn't a game and there is a sense of authenticity in what you share with each other. And you can't have one without the other. Yeah. It's that I love you. And I know you talk about this a lot on your show and in your writing, Ali, that self-awareness is so essential, self, self-understanding self and self-work. But we do that. And then we also have to then bring that right. to our relational experiences. We We don't just get to be like, okay, I'm self-aware and move through the world. We have to then practice it in relationship with other people. We have to show up in a certain way where then, you know, Todd can be triggering to me for some reason, whatever. And then I have to say, okay, I have to, you know, take a deep breath and I have to recognize why is that triggering? I have to practice what I'm learning with him. Yeah. For me, work is probably not the best term. For me, it's investigating my own reactivity. There it is. I used to never investigate my own reactivity. I would just get reactive and then I'd move on and then until the next time I did. And for me, my work is, wow, this is this is an interesting response I'm having right now. Why is Why am I so angry or why am I so numb or why am I so sad or so detached? And not close to perfect, but I know that that's what I'm aiming for is just recognizing and noticing what's going on inside my body and in my mind and through my emotions when something weird is happening. It's a question that I've gotten more than any other question since writing my first book. It's certainly since launching the podcast is this like, I love that it's all and it's nearly always from a woman Mm -hmm. who's dating a man who's saying like, I love him, but I want him to like do this work. And what the way you just framed it, Todd, it's so, it's not like a, and Kathy, you were saying this too. It's not like I wasn't and now I was. Right. It's a shift around, yeah, the willingness to investigate your reactivity, to notice what's happening inside of you, to have check-ins, right? That have mm-hmm. to do with where was I, where am I, where am I going? So mm-hmm. in that way, because I do think sometimes a mistake that I think women make is it's like they almost want to make like a list of things that have to happen. This kind of therapy or this this many of this. But I love the the gentleness that you both are inviting, which is just a shift. It's a shift in how you live within yourself that then changes how you 
do a relationship. It's like less daunting or less perfectionistic. It is. And it's like, to me, it's responsibility, right? When I am asking Todd to notice something or to help me with something or to recognize something, I first take responsibility for my behavior in it. If I was, maybe I'm coming to him because I was reactive the day before and I'll be like, listen, the reason that I was like not making eye contact with you and annoyed was because... I feel like this is something you're not understanding. So I want to take, you know, responsibility for how I reacted to it. Now I really want to share with you, this is why this is bothering me. So I'm not coming to him saying, be different, do different things, show up in a different way. I'm saying I'm attempting to do that as well. And I'm practicing that as well. And I'm trying to, I'm not doing it to be a role model to him. That's, I'm doing it for me. Yeah. But in inadvertently, I am role modeling. I will take responsibility for me if you will take responsibility for you and for us to hear each other say, when I say something to him that I know is hurtful, maybe it'd be something like, I don't feel like you recognized what I was doing at all. And he in his mind thinks he is completely. Yeah. He's like, I am. And I'm like, but the way you recognize is not the way I feel it. I mean, we can talk about so many different, you know, personality tests or love languages. I'm words. He's yes. acts of service. I'm a two. He's a three. Like we are so different, Todd and I. I'm an introvert. He's an extrovert. So we have to be really thoughtful about our communication skills or we miss each other. Yeah, yes. cultivating empathy. Kathy can answer the door when the pizza guy shows up, but she'd rather not. And I used to make fun of her. Like, you can do all these things, but it... Is it really that hard to answer the door when the pizza guy gets here? Of course you can do it. But my explanation to him is this is what I know about me. And we use the pizza guy just because it's a good example. You know, now DoorDash doesn't even knock on the door. Life has changed. And you probably love that. I love (laughs) it. Things have gotten much better. I love it. But what I had to understand, and this goes to the self-awareness piece, is I had to understand how when I'm with people, like many people do who are like me, I do absorb people's energy. I do feel their feelings. I do have this intensity that I feel with people where I can't just be, I can't just show up and be kind of a blank slate. I am feeling everything you are experiencing. So when it is the end of the day and someone knocks on the door, it is a lot more than getting the pizza. Mm -hmm. I am seeing this human. I'm saying hello and how are you? And it is a, I will use the word work, Mm -hmm. where I understand that about myself. And I have had to over, you know, again, Todd and I have been married 20 years now, explain to him who I am. I absorb people. I feel people's energy. It is a gift and a curse, but it is who I am regardless. And, And until you were able to articulate that for me, it made no sense. Todd's way of going through the world to him was the way that people go through the world. It wasn't a way. It was just, yeah. yeah. And so to Kathy's point, we need to understand ourselves first so then that we can hopefully share that understanding with somebody else. And Kathy got really good. Like, listen, this is what happens inside my body when I hear the doorbell ring. Like, that's weird. That doesn't happen to me. When the doorbell rings, I get up and and open the door. Whereas with her, it's a completely different experience. And then I can rationally, because when I get scared, I go up to my brain. I can rationally, like, do all the formulas and equations saying, okay, I get it. This is why she finds it more challenging to do this than I do. And then what works for your relationship is for you just to go get pizza. Yeah, then I just go do all that stuff. And it becomes a source of pride for you then. Rather than whatever, somehow you like have to take care of this dependent, you know, whatever, like yeah, we, loving Kathy. We help each other yeah. in the things that we choose not to expend our energy on. Like I'm an acts of service guy. So if you tell me to, uh, hey, we need to go to the grocery store to get stuff like that requires very little effort. Kathy's words of affirmation. So it and I don't know where words land on my love languages, but they're pretty far down. Pretty far down. So it requires, <laughs> it requires. I, I married one of those totally. too. I only say that because I often love you the way I want to sure, be loved. That's and right. it doesn't that's right. quite. No. Yeah, it doesn't land for me. If you're saying loving words to me, like, do I like it? Yes. Do I experience it the same way? If I or somebody else were to give those same words back to you, mm-hmm. your experience would be so much different than mine. Yeah. So my job as her husband is to step outside of my comfort zone and make deposits into her emotional bank account through the language that she best understands. Most of the time, I still am really good at acts of service and really not so good at words. Because we've been able to share all these things over the years and there aren't built up resentments, 
we now use more humor yes. than anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like yeah. I will, for example, a beautiful thing about Todd is that he he's not into makeup. He's not into hair. He would prefer me to just be me. And he's likes, you know, he likes natural, you know, okay. all, all that good stuff. But there are times that I get ready. I spend a lot of time. I, I focus on taking care of myself. And I walk down the stairs. He's like, let's go. And I like walk back up the stairs and walk back down. <laughs> yes. And I'm, I'm like, giving you a take too, exactly. my friend. <laughs> words of affirmation. And it's not uh, about I need to feel pretty. Yeah. It's I want you to acknowledge yeah. me in yeah. this in this light. And and this is what I feel like in partnership. My gifts are emotions and understanding other people. And what we and, and again, first and foremost, it's understanding me. But I even feel like mm-hmm. as parents, he has amazing relationship with all three of our daughters. It's really lovely. And they love him for who he is and what he offers. He doesn't need to be me. Mm-hmm. But what I can offer him is a better understanding of them, of the emotional experience they're having, the the things that they may feel more comfortable sharing with me than him because of the way that I relate to them. So he and then he gives me the gift of like being more playful with them and not worrying so much and allowing them to do things without my intervention. Case in point. Yeah. Our college sophomore texted us saying, ah, I got something on my tonsils. It's a little white thing. And Kathy just leapt into action mm-hmm. and started trying to support her. And, you know, I think I texted her first. Sure. You I actually got it showed first. me. Yeah. But then we we're having dinner and then you bailed because you wanted to be 100 percent focused on her well-being and going to um, an urgent care clinic and all that. And she got her strep test and it came back negative. And then I'm like, oh, well, I think we're going to be okay here. She's got a sore throat. And, you know, Kathy, the way she interprets that, sometimes you worry about what might go wrong. And I'm like, there's nothing really wrong here other than our very capable 19, she 19 or 20? 19. 19 19-year-old daughter uh, has a sore throat yeah. and she can totally take care of it. But so I feel like what I do is I counterbalance some of her cause she's a mom and she's the mama bear and she needs to scan the environment yeah. for threats. And then I will flip this yeah. because this is, you know, the girls will come home. I know something's not great. I can tell by their body language. I can tell by the way they're answering questions and Todd doesn't see it at all. I'll say, how you doing? They'll be like, oh, fine. When in fact their body language sure. says something completely different. I miss it. If you say you're fine, I'm going to say think that you're fine. Kathy is intuitive enough to be able to recognize when they're not fine. And then I'll have a conversation with them and he'll I'll say, and they really need support with this or they didn't hear this or they heard you say this. And, and this is another thing is that it's great that we can share with each other what each other is missing without trying to, there's no winning between yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not yeah. trying to be like, I got this and you didn't. There's yeah. more like, we are a team. So yeah. let's strengthen so our team. At least one of us got this. I'm so glad that one of us. Yeah. Got if you you're going to keep score, you're going to lose the game. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. We're doing That's it. Right. So I'm like, you know, here's something you need to know about. I just said this the other day. Here's something she mm-hmm. is struggling with. So when you say this, I watch her facial expression. It really hurts her. And he's like, oh, my God, I didn't even know that. Oh, and so then then we've covered that base. Yeah. So now yeah. he knows that that is offensive to her. And so we use the word team a lot. Yeah. But I don't know how you parent effectively without it. Right. Even with, you know, I work with a lot of families who are divorced or separated or were never married in the first place. Mm-hmm. And there's even teamwork there. Absolutely. You know, just it's how we speak to each other, how we understand that we're the whole intention is making sure these children feel supported. You know, I think the person who's in more of the role, Kathy, that you're in, mm-hmm. the only way that you can really truly see it as a as a team is noticing and coding all of the ways in which Todd is bringing like this balance, right? Because I think very often the dynamic goes where the one who is more finger on the pulse can get critical. Like, how'd you miss that? The framing Mm -hmm. is how'd you miss that versus Mm -hmm. like, ah, I caught it. Let me get you up to speed so that Mm -hmm. they can feel as, you know, good with you. And so that we're, so that you then Todd get to back me up, Kathy, as I do this more in the weeds, emotional labor. But that's the key to it, right? Is not seeing, is not like elevating your intuitive perception above what Todd brings. And it's also important to recognize how the opposite of the story is also true. Like I worry about money way more than I should. Kathy worries about the kid's health sometimes more. So it's important that we will like check in with each other. Like you know, I got money baggage. I got, I'm still navigating through it. I get really worried sometimes when, uh, my family of origin comes over to my house and like, everything's fine. Why are you so, so it's important that 
we like check in with each other. It's not that Kathy's a warrior and I'm not. It's yeah. just different issues. Domains. Domains. And mm-hmm. just knowing, you know, all these things we talked about before about first understanding ourselves and then sharing with each other who we are. When Todd misses something, I know why he misses it because I know it's not that I know what's going on in Todd's mind every second, but I know where he's focusing his attention. I know that he's in productivity mode. I know that he takes people at their word. Like I know all these aspects of him where it's easy for me to understand why he misses it. And I think, Todd, you would say about me, you understand why I why I'm concerned and where I came mm-hmm, from sure. is that I was in my family much more of the emotional response person. Yeah. You know, it's funny to look back on childhood. Did I really need to know everybody's emotions? Right. It sure felt like it. It at sure the time. felt like it. Uh-huh. Um, but that was my job with my uh-huh. friends, with my family. So I am so deeply hardwired that way mm-hmm. that he knows I'm not going to miss a beat on mm-hmm. that. And he can be supportive of that and and look at that as a gift, but also say to me sometimes, let's laugh. Mm-hmm. Like we're okay. Like right now my, yeah. my legs are tingling as I sing. I say that because that's one of the greatest gifts that Todd brings to me mm-hmm. as my friend and as my partner is that we have a very similar sense of humor. We always yeah. have. And obviously now it's combined. We even look alike now. It's scary. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get different glasses. Yeah. We sometimes <laughs> look identical. We wear job. the same shirt. Yeah. And that freaks me out. It does. I'm not a fan of my, merging. Yeah, I know. But you know what my re, I, my dear friend Mona Fishbane told me yes. once that the research shows that as we get older together, because there's been so much empathy, it changes the musculature of oh your my face. God, that's crazy. And that's why we end up looking like one person. Oh so in that way, it's like a sign of a yeah, good, healthy, go. long-term partnership. It's a good there's reframe. So much empathy that you're just... Totally. Face has changed. See, Toddy? It's good. It's our empathetic nature toward each other. I always think of uh, Gibran wrote that great poem about marriage and we need to be, what is he, what are the two trees? trees. The two trees separate. Sure. Not in each other's shadow. Yeah, not in each other's shadow. And I was thinking about that, but you just reframed that for me. Beautiful, Allie. Thank you. Yeah. Two trees that maybe look too much the same. We're growing the same kind of leaves. Yes. Well, and that I take more internally. Like we do have the same sense of humor. There's so many things we like together and share together. Obviously our children and our family, but we also have different lives. Mm -hmm. Like we, there's things you love to do. There's things I love to do. Mm -hmm. And we are interesting to each other. We drive the girls crazy because we talk all the Mm -hmm. time. And they, when they were little, they would like be annoyed. Like, can we get in this conversation? But we have things, I read a book and I'm like, I want to tell you about this. And he like is, you know, he's coaching someone and he wants support in it. You know, we, we have lives that are separate that allow us to remain interesting. You're interesting to me. You're interesting to me, sweetie. (laughs) I've like, I set him up. I'm like, you, (laughs) words. Well, you set him up, but then you. That's right. Spiked the ball. (laughs) That's good. Caught the pass. Yep. Okay. So. Not only are you interesting to each other, but you created a whole show together. Mm-hmm. Like, what has that journey been like? Because you do, you have separate realms, but yeah. you also do have this really big overlap. Mm-hmm. Like, what's that been? Yeah, the separation of the realms was intentional. And Kathy used her wisdom because if I started, so I, I, I work with men. And Kathy, for the most part, works with women. with women. Because then parenting, we're it's all the same. Like we're all working with parents. So there was, it was an important thing that we decided whenever I started coaching guys. Yeah. Well, it was, so just to like back up and I'll make this short, the story as concise as possible is that I had written my first book called The Self-Aware Parent. I was on a podcast before people knew what podcasts were. It was 2010. That's why it's called Zen Parenting Radio, because if we called it Zen Parenting Podcast in 2011, nobody knew what a podcast was. We thought yeah, we were, were going to be on the what, radio. What episode are you on? We just recorded 673, I think, today. You are the OG. <laughs> we were just talking about that <laughs> really word. We are. just said OG. And that's the thing is when we started the podcast, you know, nobody knew what that was. We literally thought we'd get bought by a radio station. Like it was a, yeah. it was a totally no different idea. time. But, you know, Todd and I did that together because just like I said, we used to talk all the time. And even though I was the therapist and so I was the one bringing like, OK, I'm credentialed. We can talk about these deep things. Todd was just as interested in all of these things. He was not a coach yet. You were not doing these things, but he and I had such interesting conversations, especially with the mm-hmm. gender yeah. issue, you yeah. know, his perspective versus mine. He then got so interested on his own that he did get a coaching certification that he is, you know, running this men's group. But I will tell you that when he started doing that, it was very hard for me mm. because, you know, this identity crisis I initially had when I had children is I really carved out something for myself. Like, this is who I am. This is who I am in our marriage. And I also had become a yoga teacher around that time. And then Todd started doing yoga. 
And I got really like, whoa, like this is my world because he was a salesman. He was in business. He was in finance. He was in real estate. We had two very separate worlds. And then all of a sudden he was like trying to coach me. And he was telling me about his, he was like, have you read this book? I'm like 10 years ago. You know, like I was getting frustrated as his new awarenesses. We had really difficult talks. I was very, and then he started coaching. And when he was coaching women, I said, okay, wait a second. We got to, we have to figure out a way where we can both do this. Cause I would never tell him to not do what he loves, but we got to divide here. So we have our own lanes inside of this lane. And so he started coaching men. I coached women. He, I had a women's circle. He had a men's group. And we just divided by gender. Mm-hmm. And that has been the way that we have yeah. you know, done Zen parenting. But we started the podcast in 2011. We have never not had something to say. Um, well, when you say we, you mean you. Oh, because I if it was up to me, <laughs> I would have ran out of things to say after show four. Yeah, you had four shows. <laughs> yeah, so we, um, so we recorded this morning and our prep for a podcast is sometimes I bring something, but nine times out of 10, I'd say, what do you got? I have two words on a piece of paper today. I had the word gentle and I had the word big. And I don't even know what I meant by that word. <gasps> And then we recorded for an hour. So we just talked based upon two words written on a piece of paper. Yeah. Sometimes we don't even have the words. I know. Sometimes we'll come in with a quote and be like, remember that quote? Yeah. But that is our, you know, that's our back and forth. And, And like I said, you know, just sharing this challenge of, I love working with Todd and we have this business together and it's amazing. But part of the reason we've been able to do it is to make sure that we know what our roles are and not, and sometimes they overlap and they shift and they change. We have definitely room for negotiation there, but especially as a woman, because I really was, again, I left my job as, you know, a clinical social worker. I've decided to stay home. I carved out something new. I felt like I had my feet planted again. I felt like a leader again. And then when Todd was coming into that area again, not only was he my partner, but it was, there was a gender aspect to it. It felt power infringent. Is that a word? Is I just I, made that up? I think it's such an interesting, subtle point that you're making. Yeah. Because I feel like there's, you know, what I was saying before about like these women who write in, you know, who are like, I want my male partner to do this work. And I think what you're getting to is a little bit of like the kind of be careful what you wish mm-hmm. for. You got it. Part <laughs> yeah, of it, right, is really... like, wait, and now he calls my ass mm-hmm. out sometimes. Yeah. And now, and you know, for you, it was different because it was a prof- an actual professional yep. kind of like boundary negotiation. Yep. But I think there also is something there for everyone who's listening around, okay, so be careful what you wish for. And as your partner does start to take little bites mm-hmm. and dip a toe in, yep. it's going to change the dance. And you don't then get to own the corner of you the market yep. on dictating well, no, clearly this is what happened in this dynamic. I did this and you did this and mm-hmm. I get to determine and define mm-hmm. what our dynamic is because mm-hmm. I'm the one with the language and the exactly. frameworks. Well, mm-hmm. as you start to do your own work, mm-hmm. now it's the two of us are yeah. actually mm-hmm. shaping. And the where now that's become super helpful because we are yeah. both seeing it very clearly. Yeah. I felt very, again, you know, this was about partnership, but also just about me as a woman in the work world. I felt that he was mansplaining a lot of the time. I felt like uh-huh. he was telling me things that I already knew. I felt like he was telling me about books that live behind my head on, on our bookshelf, like yeah. when I sleep, and I didn't feel seen. I was like, you don't understand the amount of work I've been doing. I've been doing this for 20 years. I went to school when I was 25, and you're learning this in a coaching program telling me. Mm-hmm. And it was difficult. Yeah. Like, And at the same time, to your point, I also was elated because our conversations were much more uplifted and open and he was so much more self-aware and he, he was happy. So like everything's paradoxical, right? Like, <laughs> you know, like I was like, now these discussions are about, we are not in the business of coaching each other. I am not his therapist. He's not my coach. The hard way. Yeah. Okay, like, yeah, I would come home from a weekend retreat or whatever. And then I would try to process Kathy or show her all of the, her sources of reactivity and just or an awful idea. He would come home and tell me this thing that we learned. We learned about this teacher and we learned this. And I'm like, honey, that's what I told you about last weekend that I did. He was telling me like it was new. Yeah. And so I was feeling like this is what I've been doing for a living. Mm-hmm. You know, in this whole spiritual journey is what I was doing in our 30s that I was trying to tell you about. And he was 
learning about it internally now yeah. instead of yeah, hearing yeah. it. He took it when you would say it. He yeah. took it as deeply as he mm-hmm. could take it, Correct. given the depth of his own right. journey. Correct. Yeah. I kind of love the way that you're describing that your Zen parenting episodes go, because I can imagine, Kathy, that it feels to you that you feel seen because yeah. Todd's looking at you and saying, OK, where are we going? And mm-hmm. it's not from a place it doesn't land for you as like, oh, here I go again. I got to structure this. It's more like, okay, well, let me start and let's just see where this goes. Yeah, it's Kathy's, uh, I don't want to be harsh on myself, but Zen Parenting is Kathy's brainchild for one thing. It was her idea. The only reason she invited me to be on is because at the time our podcast coach said, you know, a one person talking by themselves, you do it. And I think you'd probably be able to, Ellie, I know you do it every now and again. It's Mm -hmm. just you on a Mm -hmm. podcast. I find that incredibly difficult. Like if you put a microphone in front of me and says talk for 40 minutes, I don't think I'd be able to do that. But Kathy will bring most of the content and I'll bring in my experience of whatever it is she's bringing. And I'd say one out of 10 shows, I bring something that I want to share, but nine times out of 10, it's Kathy's. Yeah. And what we have learned to do again, you know, you hopefully after 11 years, you've learned this is we bring our strengths, right? I am much more interested in the depth of the conversation, where things come from, the psychology of it, you know, examples of it in my own practice, where Todd has that as well. But we do a lot of pop culture references. He brings in some humor. He brings in clips. He brings in a TED talk. He brings in a book. So we are working from our strengths rather than working against each other. But Mm -hmm. that in itself, like, that's why I always want to be honest about when Todd's, you know, and people are like, isn't it great that you guys do the same thing and that your husband's interested in, in what you're interested in? Which it is, but that took work in itself. I would always say to Todd, I'm like, what if I, because he's been working at the same company for how long? 27 years. 27 years. So I said, what if I all of a sudden started working at your company and started talking to you about what you do for a living? And he would always be like, well, I wouldn't care. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, see, that's because it's similar to, you know, let's go back to the beginning about the relationship of you've never not had me. Right. You know what I mean? It's a similar kind of thing. Like you really don't know. My reason to bring this up was never about keeping him from anything. Yeah. It was about making sure that we honored where I was coming from. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then coming in where we felt balanced. I could have very easily been quiet about it and just taken the path of, well, well this is good. And that's where I will bless Kathy is in through her own personal growth work. She has been courageous enough to bring up difficult topics. And we've been doing this podcast enough to know that there's a lot of marriages out there where they're unwilling to bring it up in a healthy way. Kathy brings it up in a healthy way most of the time. I'm sure there's examples of where people bring up each other's flaws in an unhealthy way. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's an important point. Like you're not going to be able to get what you want until you first are willing to ask for it. And either a husband or a wife will say, well, I asked for it two years ago. And they weren't ready to create the space, hold the space, respond, get curious around it. So then or, they just throw their hands up and they're like, let's, that, then they'll just complain to their buddies or their girlfriends about it. Or they'll yeah. say, if they loved me, they would understand what's yeah. bothering me. Yeah. And and we are different, you know, no matter who your partner is, no matter how they love you, even if they know you intently, they obviously can't read your mind and they don't know why things affect you the way they do. Mm-hmm. Like oftentimes me just being able to share with Todd, even if it's something small, this is how I feel and this is how it's affecting me. He needs to take zero action. Yeah. I just need to be able to say it and where he said, oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's over. Yeah. I don't, and, and vice versa. A, yeah. You're making a really good point around like a need for some amount of persistence yeah. and resilience and bringing it up because it may not have gone well because your partner is completely unable, period, end of story. It may not have gone well because you, this is the first time your partner's heard exactly. it. Or you need to perhaps like refine your approach and try again and I like that message about a bit of persistence. And it's painful. It's painful when we bring something up and our partner isn't able to well, and meet us. Timing there. is crucial. Timing and context, right? And context, context from what yeah. energy is this coming from? If you're coming from the energy that I'm just going to blame the piss out of my partner for all of his or her inadequacies, there's going to be defensiveness, no doubt. If Kathy's coming to me in the bottom of the ninth of a White Sox game, bad idea to yeah. come to me with one of your, an issue. Like, so... I think timing is, you know, Kathy always talks about humor, but I think if you have the bandwidth, if it's a crisis, then you can't do it, but find the right time to bring it up and from what energy. And also yeah. realizing that the issues that run deep, the ones that like do stem from our childhood or that yeah. are the things that we're really working through, maybe be a lifetime of working through, 
those issues present themselves again and that's again right. that's and again. Right. The thing I stole from Oprah is that it just shows up in different pants. Like you think you resolved <laughs> something, right? You know, you're like, okay, we worked through this. He gets it. He hears me. And then it shows up in a different context yeah. where you're like, this is the same issue. It just is a little tweet. And so that's something, you know, we also get emails about our show where people will say, you know, you guys seem to you know, work through things and never have this problem. And I brought this up to my partner. And then two weeks later, it happened again. I'm like, oh, it'll happen sure. again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's a practice of hearing each other. It's a, I'm feeling hurt by the same thing and taking responsibility for whatever reactivity you have around it, but also being able to say, can we try gently here? Because this is a hard thing for yeah. me. It's again, it's that mix of self-healing, but also relational healing. Yeah. Where if you can see me in the places I didn't feel seen historically, there's a healing that happens that it's uncommon. Well, and we, Todd and I had, my Todd and I had one recently that was, right, it's one we've, a place we visited before many, many, many times. But when the context changes, right, this was around something that happened around like launching our son back to campus. Even if we've got our dance pretty well refined, the context around us changes, right? We're getting a bit older. Our family system is changing. When the context changes, there's the need to rework the old tender stuff, even if it's been there before, because it's we haven't been here before. We yes. haven't done this before. And so, of course, we're going to get tripped up in this dynamic around this family system milestone. That's one of the most unhelpful things we get stuck thinking in our relationships. Is like, why are we here again? That's just so unhelpful. The thing itself is hard enough and it makes a hard thing harder when we say, why are we here again? Right. Which is like our big thing is, of course, we're here again. Of course we're here again. <laughs> then, right. Then when you get to be like, oh, yeah. look at us. That look is what we just scary. did. Then it's like, OK, it makes sense why we're here. It again. makes sense. Like yeah. Todd and I are so aware of each other's Achilles, you know, the things that yeah. really hurt us and the things we really want to be, you know, like it's so easy for me to we have a, a much better like shorthand about of course, you know, this is bothering me because of blah, 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 blah. You know, this is where I really need the support or this is where I really need to be heard. So we don't need to rehash why anymore yeah. or my history. He already knows. Yeah. I know his history. Yeah. And yeah. I know, just like you said, timing or when you'll be defensive or if you'll be defensive. And it's just streamlined. Well, and it's important to know one's own blind spots or Achilles heel like mine is. I'm not a fan of silent treatments. Like I would much rather have uncomfortable conversations than if I do something that pisses Kathy off and then she walks away. Like that is really triggering to me. Probably some childhood stuff that I haven't quite processed through. And Kathy has her own versions of the Achilles heel. But the only way to be able to make space for your partner's Achilles heel is if we know our own and we can communicate it through the right content and context to your partner. And it's it's a lot of work to be able to do that. It's a lot of practice. Yeah, but in you letting Kathy know that that's uniquely hard for you and Mm. maybe differently than it would be for you, Kathy, in letting Kathy know that, then Kathy knows when she has that urge to pull back into silent treatment, like maybe you do still, but there's like a little part of you, right, Mm -hmm. that remembers like, oh, it's so tempting, so tempting. And And to be conscious of how it looks, because if I know that about him and what I do is I get not pull away from him, but I need to get quiet and I need to process and I need to do my own version Mm -hmm. of like, I can't talk right now. And I have to actually say to him, I am not like punishing you right now, but I do need to be quiet because I feel sad and I need to like do that first and then we'll come back to this. And the way I'm structuring it, we don't talk so like eloquently about it in the moment. We have a little more of a, okay, hold on, this is not about you. I need to bail for a second. (laughs) You know, that's a little more how I say it. My Achilles is definitely when I don't feel heard. The example I was giving you where he's telling me something I told him the week before or whatever. And so sometimes he'll say, you may have told me this before, but here's something, Uh you know, this, you may know this book, but here's something that I want you to see. And just that teeny buffer is him thinking about, I'm not sure if I miss this or not. And it's, it's so simple, right? But a lot of times we're not, you know, simple, but not easy. simple, but not easy because it yeah. sometimes we're not in the mood. No. <laughs> but then the more times it goes like that. Right. Then the one time that he doesn't do it that way, there's mm. more grace because it's like you got you've it. got a new pathway is like tread enough that yeah. you know that. Exactly. That's the thing is that once you do have this practice long enough, what I know for sure is Todd would never intentionally hurt me. Yep. No, that, that I would never do that. He would never. So if I feel hurt. My conversation with him is more about here's how that landed. Yes. 
but I know that that's you in, didn't intend yeah, it. Yeah, that's intention versus impact. Yeah, I know that for sure. And I used to hide yeah. behind intention. I'd be like, uh, why are you so bad? I wasn't meaning to hurt you. And then I, the pendulum went all the way the other way where I was just focusing on impact and not even considering my own intentions. And the answer is some, always somewhere uh, in between. But you can't can't remind Kathy about your intention. But mm-hmm. if you not reminding Kathy about mm-hmm. your intention, she can remember. Mm-hmm. You got That's it. That's this my aha. Right. Yeah. That's the tricky thing. You cannot remind her about Mm-mm. your benign intent. Mm-mm. But you certainly, Kathy, can remember. Always yeah. because I know, you know, going back to us meeting each other from the very beginning, one thing about Todd, he's a very kind person. Mm-hmm. Like he has never not been kind, even in his darkest days. Mm-hmm. Of, he doesn't want to hurt anybody. Yep. Yeah. At my peak though, I was the king of hiding behind my intention because my intentions were always kind, although I was oblivious to the impact of yeah. those mm-hmm. decisions. Yes. Kathy, how can you be mad at me? I was not intending to hurt you. And that is just That's a horrible thing to say. Yeah. And I used to, I used to say that and Uh -uh. my intention really is not close to the whole picture. That's right. It's how did my words affect you? Sure. And in saying that, the thing you don't do then is hear Kathy. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You shouldn't be upset about this. (laughs) Right. Right. You shouldn't be upset about this because I wouldn't be upset about this. Oh, I used to say that all the time because I'm Mr. Easygoing and nothing bothers me. What a horrible recipe for connection and relationship. Well, and I will share one more thought on that because I think this is important for a lot of often mothers to hear is a lot of times Todd's easygoingness, and I'm going to speak very generally, can sometimes then reflect on me seeming neurotic or worried. But part of what Todd and I, I have been able to share this, but I think he really understands this and see this because we talk about it all the time, is I am the first line of defense in our family. So he knows he can be chill because he knows I got it. So he gets to play the I'm the rock, Mm -hmm. I'm the I'm chill, don't worry. But that's because there's a buffer between him and it's Phil Dunphy and uh, Carol. What's her name? Claire. 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 Yeah. Yeah. From Modern Family. (laughs) Phil could be the funny guy, the easygoing guy. They've had a few episodes where Phil gets mad, but Phil's always the funny guy. And I think a lot of other dads try to identify with that saying, oh, our wives are just so worried. The reason I have the luxury of not being worried because I know she is. And it's an unfair, imbalanced way of being in relationship. Good cop, bad cop. So mm-hmm. we talk about it now. So I don't, we don't need to change things. I just feel seen. Again, it goes That's back right. to these things. Right. Because you're not, because there's mm-hmm. no world in which you're going to become nope. so easygoing. Nope. What? There's a what on your tonsil? Mm-hmm. Right. You're, you're not going to be that. Never. So you just need to be seen. Yeah. In how you are. And right. not be self-critical about it, sure. that I should change my behavior. Sure. And also not have him feel like he's the smart one mm-hmm. and I'm the neurotic. Mm-hmm. Like right. there's all That's these right. pieces That's of right. it where it's like, and he's so lovely. You know, like last night I even, you know, I'm still grieving my daughter going back to yes. school. I'm grieving, you yes. know, all so many things. changes. This yeah. time of year is so brutal for me. I cry, you know, mm-hmm. I just have tears. And it's not like, don't cry or what's wrong. He's like, yeah, that's what you do. You know, like that's just how I do it. And he doesn't. And that's okay. Well, and then when you are seen and not deemed to be neurotic, then you get the benefit of resting on Todd's shoulder and appreciating his easygoingness because it truly is an asset. Like the number of times where I rely on, I mean, it's so helpful to me to have Todd like talk me off the ledge, so to speak, right? That's so helpful that he can keep the big perspective and he doesn't spiral when I spiral. It's so helpful, but it certainly wouldn't be an asset we could use in our marriage if he was judging me for how I... That's it. That's it. And sometimes I even bring Todd my craziest stories in my head, like, but then they're going to do this. Like, you know, my daughter, she took a drive west last summer and she was with a friend and they were just going to every like (laughs) national park. And so, you know, their phones didn't always work. And sometimes I would be like, Todd, I haven't heard from her in this amount of time and this could happen and they could be lost, you know, and there's bears. And he'd be like, he just allows me to... She's in the middle of Glacier National Park. There is no cell service. That's why she hasn't gotten back to you. And I need that from him. Yeah. So instead yeah, of in that testing. moment, exactly, reality <laughs> testing, like instead of feeling judged, I'm like, I need that kind of energy and then I can laugh and we can go back to it. So, you know, there's all sorts of pieces that we've talked about where that can go haywire yes. if you don't feel seen. Oh, it's if nuanced. If you feel judged. If, if I'm making fun of light me. of it in an unhealthy way, it's going to backfire. Or if you're exasperated about yep. it. Right. Like, right. oh, yeah. again? Yeah. Yeah. So I just love this conversation we're having because there's so many layers yes. that if without this, this can't happen. With this, this can happen. I never run out of things to say on Zen Parenting Radio because what conversation isn't layered and interesting? Yeah. It's just exciting. Oh, you guys, this has been just like so nourishing. I love, I love, love, love. This is really, I love being with the two of you. Every time I'm with you, I just 
love you that much more. (laughs) We love you. Yes. You're an important part of who Zen Parenting is. You've been a part of it for a long time. So, and you've helped me so much with men living. It's every time I ask you to do something, you say yes. So I, well, I'm here for it. I want to stay in the conversation about how to bring men to this work. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. aware of the skew in my audience on Instagram and on the podcast. So I'm going to keep tapping into both of you as resources about how do we keep supporting this work, reaching people, all the genders. Absolutely. All genders. Yeah. A little harder to get it to the men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we think we know it all. We don't ask for direction. Oh yeah. Patriarchy has done a number on On all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to put in the show notes, all of the places that people can connect with you. But what do you, anything that you want to particularly highlight before we wrap just listen to the podcast zen parenting radio yeah zenparentingradio.com is like our home base and everything's there the podcast is there i wrote a book this year that came out called zen parenting the resources um, page is probably really good resources page i have a newsletter called zen parenting moment todd has men living we have team zen i mean everything yeah. is there zen yeah. parenting radio is our i do place. one-on-one coaching with guys so there's a lot there but it's all on the zenparenting.com i think slash resources but just go to zenparentingradio.com thank you both Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are always grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen, pre-ordering Kathy's Zen Parenting book, or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we will talk to you again next week.